Hi everyone, welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired. My usual co-host, Lauren Good, is out this week, but I am not alone. I would like to welcome back to the show for the second week in a row in an unprecedented move, Wired senior associate editor, Julian Chokatu. Welcome back to the show, Julian. Hello, thank you for having me again. Of course, you're gonna be the expert and I'm gonna ask you a bunch of questions. I hope that's cool. That is totally fine. All right. <laughs> Um, we have you on because uh, there's it's a topic that you've been covering quite a lot lately. We're going to talk about foldables, phones, tablets, e-readers, you name it. Somebody wants to put a hinge on it. Now, these devices are strange. They're a little bit awkward. They're expensive. And later in the show, we're going to talk about the broader foldables market, which is oddly growing more and more crowded. But first, we're going to look at one newly available gadget, the Microsoft Duo. On Wednesday of this week, Microsoft announced that its dual screen hybrid phone tablet thingy is going to be available for purchase. You can buy it right now. It ships in early September and the price starts at $13.99. We've talked about the Duo on the show before, but that was before the pandemic and the way that people use their devices has changed considerably in the months since then. Before, Microsoft marketed the Duo as a multitasking machine for busy professionals who are always buzzing from meeting to meeting. But now, of course, it's had to adapt its pitch to reflect the reality that much of its potential customer base is stuck working at home if they even still have a job. But let's start by backing up and covering the basics. Julian, can you please describe for us what the Microsoft Duo is? Yeah, so the Microsoft Surface Duo is an Android phone. It's a dual-screened Android phone. So basically, you're taking one phone and you kind of slap a hinge and you add another phone screen next to it. So you have two screens, not really like a traditional foldable where the display folds itself. Uh, and it runs Android. And you know you can do all the sorts of things that you can with a normal phone, but with the benefit of having a secondary screen. So you can do extra things like running two apps side by side. Does it have uh, 15 cameras like every other Android phone? No. So strangely, Microsoft has said that the camera is not the focus of this phone. So during their briefing, you know, we kind of asked them a question uh, about whether what the camera was like and, and whether there's a rear camera at all. There's no rear camera. There's just one single camera on the inside of the screen, presumably that's focused for Zoom calls and things like that. Um, but yeah, they, they didn't really show or talk about the camera experience at all. So it sounds like it's not really intended to be used as a camera phone as most of us use our camera phones today. So uh, it's, it's very much more focused on a lot of those productivity features. So you mentioned that this is a device with two screens with an exposed hinge in between them. It's not a folding screen like the ones we've seen from Samsung and Motorola where the hinge is hidden behind the screen. Uh, why is that important? It is important in that it's a different experience from a traditional foldable from the likes of Samsung, for example. Those phones have more of a seamless looking screen, so it actually might make that a little more difficult to multitask. Whereas with this phone, you have sort of a a specific separation between your two screens. So it makes more of a delinear experience of like you have one app on one side and another app on another side, and it just makes everything look a little more professional, I guess, in a way. And this probably feeds into Microsoft's productivity narrative for the device, yeah? Right, yeah. All the apps that Microsoft showcased are all Microsoft's Office Suite and, and all the OneDrive and all the traditional things that you expect from Microsoft. So um, it's an Android device, as you mentioned. Uh, yep. First of all, like, why not Windows? 
And second of all, um, what is the dual screen experience like on Android? Yeah, Microsoft had a funny and really short answer when someone had asked that question at the briefing. Uh, they asked, you know, why is this not running Windows? And um, Panos Panay, Microsoft's executive, said, because of apps. That was sort of it. He, you know, it's something that we all know that Microsoft struggled with the the old Windows Phone because they couldn't really get a lot of people to make apps for that platform. So without popular apps, people aren't going to come to your platform and use it. Um, so in this day and age, it's very difficult for Microsoft to suddenly ask a bunch of developers to make their apps for uh, their new platform if it was a Windows mobile device. Um, so it, instead, it's just much easier to go over to a platform that has all the apps you could really ever want. And obviously, that's not going to be iOS. So Android is sort of the only other option. So how different is the Android experience on two screens versus one screen that you can tell? From what you can see, there's some nice little additions that Microsoft has added. Now, they work closely with Google, so I'm not sure which side particularly made some of these things happen. But some little things that I've noticed is that like when you open the app launcher on one screen, the dock that sits on the home screen of the other screen sort of moves to the side and adds a bunch of new apps that might have been on the dock from your other home screen. It sounds a bit complicated, but basically it's shifting things over from your home screen so you can still access a lot of those apps while you have another app open on the other screen. And then there's other things like you can like move an app into the center for it to expand and give you that full screen real estate. And just other things like double app pairings in your app drawer. So you can actually pair two apps. One of the examples was Twitter and Instagram locking them in as an app pair in the app launcher. So when you tap it, both of those apps open simultaneously on both screens. Now that is a terrible example because <laughs> why would I want to scroll through Twitter and Instagram at the same time? But you know, you can do something like, for example, pairing Gmail, or I guess in Microsoft's case, you know, you'd want to use something like um, Outlook with OneDrive, and you can have that as a pair so that whenever you press that, you'll just have both of those apps open all, already, all ready to go. Right. And you can have like a Word document on one screen and an Excel spreadsheet on the other. Right. <laughs> so given the whole angle for productivity, you know, that we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, I want to I want to touch on that real quickly, because this is a very weird time for Microsoft to be releasing a product that was originally pitched as the ultimate pocket size productivity device for like busy executive types. That work mode, even for the, the people in that position, is totally different now. So how is Microsoft positioning it now in the fall of 2020? Yeah, so, you know, when I when you take a look at the website, uh, at the moment, I think it still says, I don't know if they updated it yet, but just last week it said um, the Surface Duo is like productivity on the go. But then the entire messaging at the briefing more recently was adapting to you. So that's sort of the switch that they've made is that, you know, this is clearly a device that you're not going to take on the go anymore because we're not going anywhere. But now this is a device that you can sort of use in various scenarios of your life. And, and a lot of the examples that they were talking about at the briefing were not work related at all. Um, I think there was one example of someone reading a book through the Kindle app to their daughter before bedtime. There was another one of uh, cooking. For example, someone had brought a recipe on the Edge browser and they sort of just dragged it over to the other screen to add it to their to-do list app. Um, so there's all sorts of things that they're just sort of making it sort of like an everyday phone that you can totally use, not work-related, and still get more out of it than you would a single screen phone. Can you play games on it? 
Yeah, you can play games. Uh, I, I assume you can technically play two games uh, at the same time if you really want to, but uh, I think it might be more fun to do sort of a, a full-screen gaming experience. And actually, that's one of the things that they also highlighted was the new Xbox Game Pass. You'll be able to, you know, run some of those Xbox games through if you have a good internet connection uh, through the phone as well. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to reading your full review when you actually get a chance to try it. And this it's it's very weird. It must be very weird for like a uh, somebody who reports on products and reviews products to be seeing everything for the first time over Zoom and not being able to touch it. Yeah, but I mean, you know, having done this for some time, you kind of know exactly what something is going to feel like. I mean, sometimes you'll be surprised and that's always fun. But a lot of the times, you know, we see a lot of these phones, for example, with the Note 20, even before I got a chance to play around with it. I kind of knew exactly what I was going to get, right? It, it's sort of a iteration on an iteration. Um, that's, I'm excited for this one because this is something completely new and it's Microsoft, which hasn't really made a phone for a long time. So that's sort of what's uh, a little more exciting about this launch compared to some of the other phone launches. Right. I completely agree. At least it's something different and new. So there's, uh, you know, it's, it makes the review a lot easier to write. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about foldables in general. Welcome back. Now, the Duo is not the only folding device around. Companies like Samsung and Motorola are also trying to convince customers to pay well over $1,000 for a bendy phone. Julian, you have gotten to use a lot of these things this year. What was your opinion on them at the beginning of the year? And how has it changed now that you've seen more of them? Yeah, so the I think what's exciting about foldables is that they come in various form factors and, and shapes and all that stuff. So, so the Razer, for example, was not intended to be a phone that you can perhaps do more on like some of the other companies are pitching. It was actually just more of a smaller phone form factor. Uh, it would take a normal sized phone and fold it in half. So you have this tiny thing that sits in your pocket, which honestly, I think a lot of people would really like. And I did like it, but you know, the software experience is very crucial for these foldables. And that's something that I think we haven't really seen yet. Uh, a really immersive software experience that just makes using the phone a lot more fun than what it is right now. And I think that's something we might see with the Duo, uh, especially because Microsoft has been working closely with Google. But things with the Galaxy Fold, the original, uh, my issue with that was that I enjoyed running apps side by side, but a lot of the times it was actually hard to multitask because I can still only really pay attention to one screen at a time. So a lot of these promises of just doing a lot more uh, with two screen phones doesn't necessarily add up if, if you still need to focus your attention on one of those screens. Uh, I'm the type of person that can't watch something in the background and like work on an edit or like write an article uh, like some people can. So that just might be me. but. You know, for a lot of intents and purposes, I think dual screen phones are still uh, really going to be relying on that software polish. And that's one of the things that I'm excited for with the Duo. Now, a big part of the equation with the hardware is screen material. Uh, some of the earliest examples that we started to see a few years ago used sort of a chintzy plastic. And even some of the ones that we've seen recently uh, have like a very thin plastic screen. Uh, Samsung famously has its own material that it calls ultra thin glass and we know that Corning is working on flexible glass so am I right in assuming that everybody agrees that glass is best 
Yeah, funny enough, I think it's one of the more durable options compared to plastic. We had a lot of those issues with the plastic displays on the original Galaxy Fold. And, you know, ever since switching to ultra-thin glass for Samsung's case, it's been a lot better, even though it's not perfect. There's still a lot of people that have issues. Um, but, I, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, through iterations, it'll just get better. And I think glass is going to be what people are sticking with, especially as we figure out more ways to make it more flexible and more durable. Um, but plastic definitely seems to be something that people are shying away from. But I do think that people might rely on plastic if they want to make cheaper um, foldable phone. So for example, I know TCL has been aiming to do a cheap foldable phone. I don't know if that's going to come this year or next year, but most likely they will stick with plastic uh, just to get that price point down. Um, but eventually, yeah, I think, I, I hope that most of these foldables are going to stick with glass. How, how cheap is cheap in uh, TCL's case? I think it was at the time they had suggested something around a thousand dollars, which I guess is cheaper than you know some of these other devices. But that was a true foldable, unlike you know the Duo, which is fourteen hundred dollars and it's technically two screens. Right, and I mean that's that's a big point because as we talked about last week and as we continue talking about all the time on Wired, like you can get a really really good phone for around four hundred and fifty dollars, usually even less than that. So it's asking quite a bit to ask somebody to pay, you know, $1,000 more than that, just to get a phone that is sort of awkward and very, very different. So I wonder, like, you know, who is buying these things? Is it anyone? Is it is it companies who are buying them for their executives? I mean, I will say that, like, I think what ends up happening is I always say don't buy these devices like unless you have the money to spend it uh, or if you're just someone that's an early adopter and you really really want to try this stuff out because as we've seen with something like a 5g phone that's something that we said last year don't buy a 5g phone it doesn't make sense it's too expensive and you can barely get 5g as it is right now and now you look at it you know if you were on sprint last year uh, and you bought a 5g phone your 5g phone is not going to work because they're discontinuing sprint's 5g network and it's rolling in to T-Mobile. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you don't know how long, you know, this this Surface Duo could be a flop and maybe Microsoft is like, well, to hell with <laughs> dual screen phones, we're going to stick with laptops or something else. So I would say that for most people, just sort of see how it goes, you know, just, just look at reviews and uh, just eventually hope that this stuff will come down at, at a lower price point that's more uh, stomachable. But for now, uh, it's just early adopters and people with the money for it that really want to pay for these things that should buy these things. For me, the big thing is durability. Like if I'm going to spend over $1,000 on something, I would like it to not have moving parts on it that, you know, a regular phone does not like the hinge for example <laughs> so i mean whenever the companies come out with something like this they show you that video of the robot that they've built that folds and unfolds it a million times and they say that this is you know a superior hinge to every other hinge that has ever ever come before and that's you know good for them i'm happy that their industrial designers are you know happy with the hinge that they've created but the phone that i have costs a thousand dollars less and does not have a hinge so I wonder if there is some anxiety sort of built into the price that has to do with durability. Yes and no. I mean, yes, in the sense that these things are definitely way more likely to break, but it is also the sort of only way that we can eventually get to the point where we will have 
really strong foldable phones. Uh, for example, the difference in something like the original Galaxy Fold to hopefully this next one will be so much greater because Samsung realized and, and kind of messed up that durability and initially that it now took so many more precautions and steps to fixing it. So I think there needs to be some of those failures first, which is precisely, again, why we suggest that people don't really buy these things because this is sort of a market test for them. You know, they get to put these things out, people, the super hardcore fans buy it, test it out, and then if it breaks on them, well, then Samsung can say, well, go back to the drawing board and let's make a even better version. So I think, it naturally will get better over time because of these uh, durability issues that stem from the early beginnings. Um, but of course, for the average consumer, that's again, you know, don't buy these things because yes, they're still prone to breaking. And uh, you can say the same thing for, you know, $1,000 iPhone 11. It's still prone to breaking. It's, it's glass on the front and the back. So um, there is always going to be an argument about durability with these expensive phones, but it shouldn't necessarily hinder you from completely forgetting about buying a foldable phone in the future. And I think part of that market test is also going to be um, the use case for it. You know, like where does a foldable make the most sense? So is it a phone? Is it something you can pocket? Is it a laptop, a tablet, uh, an e-reader, like a Kindle type device? Yeah, for me, I'm... I think I would prefer a laptop, for example, compared to a phone, because at the end of the day, you know, typing on these things when they're open with the full screens out is very, very hard and it's not fun. Uh, and the amount of times when I'm especially on the go, I guess before times, uh, it, it was just something that I didn't really open up the phone to use that full dual screen experience, uh, you know, when I'm on the, on the subway or something like that. Uh, I usually just use that single screen. Um, so for me, I would prefer a tablet or a laptop. And I've seen like Lenovo has this really cool computer that is sort of a foldable. Um, that just makes it so that like I don't need to lug around this gigantic thing in my backpack. It's much smaller and gives me just about the same screen real estate as a traditional laptop. Back in October, when Microsoft first showed off the, the Duo, they also showed something called the Neo, which was like a sort of a super portable Surface device that ran Windows X. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we haven't really heard much since. Um, I think it's going to be delayed if not, uh, if they haven't said that already, but it's supposed to be sort of a foldable laptop with this special version of Windows that Microsoft is building that's just more in tune with foldable devices. There are already some foldable laptops out there or dual screened laptops out there. And so this is software that's just supposed to be a little more friendly for those interfaces, which rely on touch more so than like a trackpad, for example. Um, so that should be pretty exciting. It's going to be available for the Neo, but it's also going to be available for all these other manufacturers that are making these dual screen or foldable laptops too. So how long until Apple makes a foldable? That's the question, isn't it? Because just, <laughs> you, just, you just know that no one is going to care until Apple drops a foldable and then suddenly it's the greatest thing in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's, you know, merit in that because Apple often does take its time and they refine these things to a point where it's a little more polished uh, and just much more user friendly. Uh, for example, say, you know, 
the opposite of what Samsung would do, which is totally drop a phone and then have it become basically a disaster. And then you have to repair it and sort of build up your image back again and, and then say, this one's more durable the second time around. Um, you know, Apple is, is definitely going to have something a little more polished, I think. I think they will do a foldable just because, um, you know, it's just where the, everything is going. I think that's where the technology is going. And I think people will eventually want that when the software is polished enough. So, uh, you know, I mean, think about it. Having an iPad that you can sort of just fold into this mini little thing that you can maybe put in a pocket or a tiny little bag that you don't have to lug something heavier around. Uh, that sounds cool to me. I can't stop shaking my head. I really can't. I just, I just can't see a future where we're all, we all have foldable devices. I can see a future where we all have like very, very thin, flexible devices. So when you put it in your pocket, it doesn't feel like you're carrying, you know, like a, a second wallet. But I just can't, I can't see like fold up my iPad and and you know get off the train. I don't see it. Yeah, I mean to be fair, I think that's something way down the pipeline. Like I I don't see that happening at least for the next 5ish years. Um maybe it will, but I think the the vision that I'm in, uh, thinking of where it's something like a seamless iPad that you can just quickly fold up. The thing that you've seen on Black Mirror for example, like that's the sort of thing I think will take at least 10 years if not uh, a little more than that. All right, so you heard it here first, 2025 folding iPad. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Send your send your Venmo reward to at Julian Chocazzi on Venmo. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll wrap up with recommendations. All right. Here's the end of the show where we tell people about the things that they can stream, purchase, do that will dramatically improve their lives. Julian, what is your recommendation this week? I don't have a particular single item. I'd say it's more of a ideology or philosophy or whatever you want to call it. But basically, my partner and I sit right next to each other for the past, you know, six months in this whole pandemic when we were both working from home. And that has been interesting. You know, the, I can't play music loudly because she often has to take calls for her work. So I'm often on headphones. And in general, it's just, you know, it's it's crowded. It's it's mostly been nice and, and, and fun. But, you know, I having now switched to this mini workspace that I built in my uh, bedroom with a little standing desk and a little extra monitor here, it just made it so much more fun and relaxing, I guess, in a way. Or I guess it's just a nice change of pace, I should say. Um, it's just a nice space away where I can sort of just hang out, blast some music and not have to wear headphones. It's just more relaxing, it lets me focus a little more sometimes. And I say all this knowing that my partner is probably going to kill me uh, because it sounds like I absolutely hate working next to her. It's not true. <laughs> but I just think that everyone should really just sort of create a separate space for themselves during this pandemic. Um, you know, move around from where you traditionally sit at and uh, go sit somewhere else. Use a standing desk if you need to fit it in your bedroom or get a second monitor or something like that. I don't know. It's just uh, it's nice. I got a standing desk last month. Because like I just needed to break up the posture of sitting in a chair in the same spot for you know eight hours. Yeah, it, it definitely is something that I think mentally will help you uh, because sitting in the exact same spot for six months in a row is definitely not good. <laughs> We've all been there, man. We're all there right <laughs> now. Those of us who we should say are lucky enough to have jobs where we're able to work from home. Yeah. So my recommendation this week is a food thing. 
It's called Bachan's Japanese Barbecue Sauce. And Bachan is Japanese slang for grandmother. And it's this uh, family recipe from these guys in Northern California. It's like teriyaki sauce, but it has more stuff in it. It has like more ginger. It has some tomato paste in it. So you can use it like you would use a teriyaki sauce, but you can also use it as a marinade. Um, I have been putting it on absolutely everything. I put it on tacos. I put it on like Donbury, like rice bowls. Um, I drizzle it on top of sushi when I make sushi now. Um, I use it as a marinade a lot for when I'm making like vegetables or tofu or uh, dishes with tempeh because I also have a vacuum sealer. I get totally nerdy with it. It's just amazing. Um, it's kind of expensive. It's $14 for a bottle, but if you buy it, if you buy multiple bottles, you get discounts. And if you find it in a grocery store, you know, usually it's around nine or $10 or even cheaper in some places. Um, it is a regional product, so it's probably harder to find, uh, east of the Mississippi in grocery stores, but they do ship around the country. If you go to their website at bachans.com, it's B-A-C-H-A-N and then apostrophe S at the end. Um, it's really just like one of those condiments where like you've been trying to make your own version of this for a long time and you've tried all the bottled ones and they're just not very good and you can make a version of it yourself and it comes out a little bit weird and it's like every once in a while it tastes good. This is just like, it's in a bottle. It's really good ingredients. It's all, you know, non-GMO. They use organic where they can and it's perfect i absolutely love it so that's my recommendation if you like those umami tangy teriyaki flavors then you have to try this stuff because it's really good you're making me very hungry yes it's also like lunchtime and i'm about to go make some <laughs> some tacos and pour this stuff all over it all right well that is our show thank you julian again for joining us thank you for having me of course um and now you can fold up your computer and put it in your pocket and <laughs> go back to your day. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you have any feedback about the show, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Be sure to listen to the other podcast that we do. It's called Get Wired. Lauren Good is the host. It comes out on Mondays. It's been really, really good since it launched about a month ago. I highly recommend that you go out and subscribe to it pronto. This show, Gadget Lab, is produced by Boone Ashworth. Our executive producer is Alex Kaplman. We will be back next week with Lauren back on the mic. Until then, please wear a mask. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.